Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Hey, Seattle. Hey, Seattle. How you living? Hey, Seattle. Hey, Seattle. How you living? Hey, Seattle. How you living this morning, Seattle? Hey, Seattle. Because I bet y'all had a real good night because your Hawks got real nice last night. Hey, Broncos country. Broncos country? The hell was that? Hey, Broncos country. Broncos country? Let's cry. Hey, Broncos country. Broncos country. Time to die! Time to die! I mean, NFL week one was insanity. But the most insane minute of the week was the very last minute of the week. The last minute in Seattle last night. I know you've all seen it, but a quick recap. The Broncos have the ball. 1-11 left. They're on their own 45. They've got all their timeouts. All they need is a field goal to win. And yet somehow they end up attempting the second longest field goal in NFL history with 20 seconds left while still holding on to all three of their timeouts. Now, I would say, go ahead, make that make sense. But nobody can make that make sense because what happened at the end of that game makes no sense. Here is how it sounded in real time on the Manning cast with Pinky and Pinky's little bro and their guest, Shannon Sharp. They look unsettled. Sutton doesn't know what he's doing. Hurry up. Time out, time out, time out. What the... So you just burned 30 seconds to call a timeout? A lot of time wasted right there to call a timeout, Pate. Yes. Right? Even now, if you, even, if you get five yards, you still got two timeouts, but you got you to gotta get some yardage. They're going to kick it. They're going to kick it. Kick what? Oh, they're, kick. they're kicking it right here? Kicking the field goal right here. Hold on. Oh. How far? They're kicking Let me see how far this 62 is. 62 yarder. 63 yarder. What? 62 yards, 62 miles. I mean, exactly. The thing is, it does not take two pinkies and a Hall of Fame Bronco to figure that one out. That was exactly what every single human being watching that game last night was screaming at their own TVs. We didn't need the pinky cast for that kind of analysis. Hey, Nate Hackett. Hey, Coach Ritt, the hell are you even doing here? Like, what am I doing here? Nate Hackett, the clock. The clock. Russ Wilson, the clock. The clock. Somebody, anybody, anybody thinking about the spinning clock. The clock. So what happens? The Broncos actually pulled their brand new nearly quarter of a bill franchise quarterback off the field on a fourth and five to attempt a 64-yard field goal. Nate Hackett does not need a wheelbarrow for his nuts. My man needs a straitjacket because he's straight nuts. I apologize for that reference. Sorry, not sorry. Yes, I am. Anyway... Look, Brandon McManus is one of the best kickers in the NFL. I get that. But no, Brandon McManus has never made a field goal longer than 62 yards, even at altitude in Denver. And that's not where he was, and that's not what he was doing. 
And nobody on that planet was more excited to see McManus running onto the field than the gum murderer himself. Peter Carroll happily poured salt right into that gaping wound within 90 seconds of hitting the podium last night. I was surprised that they took Russ out there at the end. You know, I, um, um, we weren't thinking field goal there. We thinking, you know, it was fourth down and they're still going. So we, um, you know, it gave us a chance to win the game on that play. So um, we were fortunate there, fortunate to get to make the kick. He kicked the hell, hell out of the ball. Um, but this was a great night. For you, the gum slayer, quote, wasn't thinking field goal there. You know why that is? Because nobody was thinking field goal there. Except apparently Nate Ritt. Except apparently Nate Ritt. Here's how Nate Ritt explained his logic, if you can call it that. Yeah, fourth and six. For me, during that time, we had been just moving it slightly. Uh, they weren't moving it with big chunks. I think we had just given up a sack right before that. Uh, so wanted to be sure that we took a chance when we had a chance. And I felt confident in, in, in him. I honestly do not know who is doing less to help their team right now. Nate Ritt or the actual Ritt? Come on, man. You didn't have a chance. You were still 64 yards away. Don't tell me you had a chance, Nate Ritt. And also, it most definitely was fourth and five. And the fact that Nate Ritt is trying to fudge that and give himself an extra yard only gives away the fact that he knows he jacked that whole thing up as badly as anybody's ever jacked anything up. The thing about that final minute was the Broncos only made us forget what a total and complete disaster they were for the first 59 minutes. Remember all these dudes fumbling inside the five-yard line, actually at the goal line? He gets the snap, it's low, hands to Gordon, riding over the right tackle. He lost the ball as he was hit. It's loose, it's vacuumed in, it may have been a fumble, it's taken to the 10, Gordon fumbles, bodies on the field, Seattle is held. Wilson gets the snap, hands off, Williams runs into his own blocker, fumble the ball, rolls into the end zone, recovered by Seattle. Can you believe it? Another fumble by Denver inside the one. Unbelievable. Westwood won. Like, this entire game was like one giant troll job of Russell Wilson. The dude who will never live down that Malcolm Butler Super Bowl INT, and he just had his big Seattle return ruined by handing off on the goal line again. The dude who forced his way out of Seattle because the coaching staff did not trust him enough got yanked right off the field in favor of a 64-yard kick by a coach who, wait for it, did not trust him enough. He had more confidence in his kicker than he did his Hall of Fame quarterback that they mortgaged their entire future for. Hey, listen, I'm not that guy who is chasing the analytics train down the tracks, but it seems to me you have a much better chance of converting on fourth and five with one of the best clutch quarterbacks ever than you do asking a kicker as good as he is to make the second longest kick ever. I don't think you need to be a Columbia or Ivy League analytics nerd to know that. I don't think you need to go to Caltech or MIT to know that. How do you make that decision, Nate Ritt? So then you go back to Russ. Russ getting booed by his beloved 12s. And then he gets let down by the rest of his teammates being a sloppy, hideous mess last night. 
Somebody hit me last night, a uh, big fan, big friend of mine, really, really good friend of mine, who's a big fan of Russ, going, man, the 12s, what a bunch of bags. They're such bags. Well, how are they actually any different now than they were when Russ was there? You know what they are? They're like everybody else. Of course, they booed their Hall of Fame quarterback that did so much for them. Of course. That's not surprising. There were a lot of surprising things about last time. That's not one of them. And then back to the Broncos. They weren't just 0-4 in the red zone. They committed 12 penalties for 106 yards. And honestly, those numbers actually felt low. It felt like there was laundry on the field every other play. So, in the end, Russ didn't do anything spectacular in his return to Seattle, but he was not the reason they lost that game. In fact, he was the only reason that they were still in that game. The most amazing thing, though, about Russ is that it really wasn't about Russ in the end. It was about Geno freaking Smith. Can you imagine going into that game and thinking that the main storyline would not be Russ, but Geno? That Geno outplayed Russ? How about this dude? Coming out in the first half and taking a torch to that Broncos defense. A defense that last year was really good. 17 of 18 for 164 yards and two touchdowns. And then after the win, of course, he dropped this gem on ESPN. They wrote me off. I ain't right back, though. That's the problem. I ain't right back. Let's go. Like... That's almost some Jameis Winston stuff right there, although Jameis is in a class by himself. Almost. Like, I have no idea what that means, but I love that. Can I have that one more time, Alvin? They wrote me off. I ain't right back, though. That's the problem. I ain't right back. Let's go. I I have no idea what the hell that means. I just know I love it. They wrote me off, but I don't write back. I just go. They wrote me off. I ain't right back, though. All right. Whatever that means. Anyway, this is a dude who missed a week one start because his teammate clocked him and shattered his face. And then just years later, stole the show in week one from the returning Hall of Famer who showed up in a mint mint green tux. The whole thing is just so incredible. But in the end, when it's all said and done, it was Coach... Nate Ritt, who upstaged everybody and everything thanks to one of the ugliest coaching debuts that that league has ever seen. Pervin Liar cannot believe what an embarrassment this guy was as an NFL coach last night. And nobody's done it worse than Perv, and nobody ever will. I'm not going to draw any enormous conclusions, and I'm not going to hot take Coach Nate Ritt and say that his career is already over. I'm just saying last night was an unmitigated disaster. And it also violated a very important rule around here. Because if your name is Hackett, you can't make a coaching debut like that. Just like if your name is Scott Pippen, you can't go around stiffing people on tips. Because then you will get glossed, no tipping Pippen, And you'll have clones like Gino in San Antonio yelling your gloss in your face in random public places. No tipping, Pippin! Allegedly, or according to Gino. If your name is Nathaniel Hackett and you debut like that, you're going to get glossed 
Nate can't hack it. And you have to know that. So everybody who takes a high-profile coaching job, before you say yes to the offer, remember your last name. Like, hey, Gino, my man Gino, did you see Nomar Garciaparra in that same liquor store that day with Scott Pippen? And did you scream out, hey, Nosemar? No, Tippin' Pippen. Nosemar. No, hey, Nosemar. Hey, way to save your timeouts for the kneel downs. Can't hack it. Good stuff there. Mike McCarthy is laughing at you. Can't hack it. Call timeout, Mike. <laughs> hey, remind me, didn't the Broncos trade like three players and five draft picks for Brandon McManus? Didn't they do that? Didn't they mortgage their future and then commit a quarter of a bill to the kicker? Did McManus walk right into the huddle and say, yo, Russ, step aside. ACM. It's my... Hey, hey Russ. ACM. Hey, QB1. ACM. It's my time to shine. Because there's no way Nate's that dumb, right? Listen, Russ will be fine. Really bad start. But Russ will be fine. It can't get any worse than that. He's not going to get booed like that in every road game. He probably won't make the mistake of showing up in that mint tux ever again. Although the only thing louder than the booze was that suit. You know, look good, feel good, feel good, botch the end of the game good. Broncos country. Broncos country. Let's waste time. Let's ride. Broncos country. Broncos country. Time for a 64-yard field goal attempt. Let's ride. Broncos country. Broncos country. Get denied. Let's ride. Broncos country. Broncos country. Sucks for you. Nate Richer guy. Let's ride. Seattle, you got to be partying so hard right now. Go Hawks. Put nobody. Go Hawks. Go Gino. Go Gino. Gino. Gino's got to be on top of the world. His face is still intact. And in prime time, he did Russ and Denver. They wrote me off. I ain't right back, though. They wrote me off. I ain't right back, though. Man, I love that. Whatever the hell that means. You know, we could talk about how complicated other banks make it to redeem credit card rewards, like how they require minimums, and worse yet, how the rewards flat out expire. Or we could talk about how with Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount at any time. I mean, you want to talk about amazing. And now that we've talked about that, why don't we get back to doing what we do best, talking some junk and talking sports. You know, what we do, where we live, who we are. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms do apply. Nate Boyer, Nate, my man, it is great to chop it up with you. I know it's a big week for you. Nate, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Jim. Thanks for thanks for having me on, brother. I really appreciate it. It's good to talk to you, Nate, as always. Now, listen, I mentioned it's going to be a big week. You have repeatedly beaten the odds. You have overcome so much. You have accomplished so much. And now you have checked another huge box. I know you've worked on this project for a number of years. If not really your entire life, you are directing and starring in a movie with a cause that you have great passion for. I'm curious, what is going through you as you await the release of this movie tomorrow? Man, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, um, I'm definitely stoked, but at the same time, uh, you know, nervous and not nervous because, oh, I, I'm worried about, you know, reviewing poorly or flopping or I'm nervous because this story is about 
our community, about uh, the combat veteran community, about the athlete community. And the authenticity in anything to me is really important. You know what I mean? Uh, and so my fear is that I didn't get it right. As much as I tried, and I know I poured everything into it, and so many others did, it's not just me. Like, this was a huge collaboration. That's, that's, the, that's the fear and the worry. But at the same time, like, if anybody was going to do it, I think that I'm just so proud that our community did it. The MVP community told their own story. It's mostly vets uh, in front of and behind the, ca- behind the camera. A lot of athletes, too. Every veteran portrayed on screen is played by an actual vet. And then guys like Tony Gonzalez and Randy Couture and Jay Glazer and uh, Tony, uh, excuse me, uh, Howie Long and Michael Strahan have cameos on it. Like, it's just like that part of it. I'm really proud of because any way you slice it, they were, they were moved by the story enough to want to be a part of it and tell their own stories uh, through this medium. So I'm uh, excited and scared at the same time, but it's a, it's a healthy fear. I was going to say, Nate Boyer joining us. I was going to say, Nate, I know you're excited. I know you're excited about the opportunity, but you also mentioned you are nervous. I'm curious, given the life that you've led, when was the last time prior to this, when was the last time you were truly nervous about something? <laughs> I mean, I, I think I'm nervous about a lot, a lot of things, not at this level. Um, it's just human nature. I mean, we're all, at the end of the day, like, and maybe, and yeah, there's different levels of, of fear and, and, and nervousness or whatever. But at the end of the day, like, it, it matters to me um, how I project and, like, how I'm received and, you know, what I give out. Because I do I do want to um, I do want to help be a part of a healthy narrative, not just for myself, but for the, the communities I represent. And when, when you feel like you do represent people uh, or at least um, whether they want you to or not, uh, even though you speak for yourself, when you, when you, when you feel like, you know, you're wearing a, a uniform of some type uh, that carries with it something bigger than yourself, like there's a lot of responsibility with that. And with that, I think comes uh, those, those trepidations. And uh, uh, it, it's, it, it's not a bad thing. I mean, honestly, I, I tell people this a lot in life. If you're nervous about something, if you're a little bit afraid, like lean into it, go in that direction. Cause it, it matters to you. That's why, uh, that's why you feel that fear. You know what I mean? It, it often, not always. Sometimes there's fear coming from other places. But for me, most of the fear is from that. It's a challenge. It's something I'm worried about screwing up. I don't want to let people down. And that's why I'm afraid or nervous. And, and when those opportunities come up, or I guess those obstacles come up, they are opportunities uh, to overcome something and to be great. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going after it. And if I, if I fail, it's okay. But if I don't try, I'll regret that forever. No doubt. Well said. Nate Boyer joining us. The movie is called MVP. It's going to premiere in select theaters nationwide tomorrow. Nate, you mentioned the uniform, so let me ask you this. You were a Green Beret and an athlete both, so you know this better than anybody. As violent as combat sports can be, it's not actual combat, obviously. That's a given. However, do military veterans and professional athletes share similar challenges to adjusting to a new life once their respective uniforms come off? Is there a commonality in that regard? So much. I mean, they mirror each other maybe more than any two other microcosms that I can think of. And and partly because I'm associated with those microcosms pretty, uh, pretty heavily, but uh, they have so much in common, the the, the camaraderie, brotherhood, structure, um, sense of purpose, the short timeline in those careers, you know, professional athletes like to play it, to play at a high level. I mean, 
there's those there's those those unicorns out there like a Randy Couture, obviously like a Tom Brady, um, you know, certain guys that that play uh, play their sport at a high level, especially a violent sport at a high level um, for a long time, and those guys are few and far between, and it's actually incredible what they achieve. But you know, 99.9 percent of us athletes and vets the same, like. You know, your body breaks down when you do something like that, and and, it, and you slow down. And just uh, uh, it's just one of those things that it's got a time clock on it. And and also, I mean, it's not always up to you. Most NFL players, fighters, whatever that is, that career doesn't end when they decide. It ends uh, when you're when you just no longer can compete at that level. And you know, the average NFL career is three years. And uh, for a lot of military veterans, the average time in service is about four years. And, and uh, you know, granted, you can stay in the military a lot longer. It's kind of more up to you if you want to continue to serve. But that doesn't mean you're going to get to do exactly what you want to do. You're not going to be um, kicking doors down for your whole life just the way that is. So you're in your 20s, 30s if you're lucky and you feel like you've peaked. And you'll never be great again. And lose that uniform. Lose that locker room. Lose uh, um, that sense of who you are, uh, you know, that identity, the purpose. And that is, that's another scary thing. That's a really scary thing. Um, to feel like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to be great again. Like, what's the point? And that's when we get into these problems with, with that transition, as you mentioned, and, you know, the veteran suicide rates being as hard as, as high as they, as they are. And, and even in the athlete sphere, you know, that, 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 uh, that, that depression and, you know, the darkness they kind of creep into and, and feeling like an outsider and you don't belong, man, that's tough stuff. And so that's what, that's what NBA, uh, NBA, that's what MVP is, uh, is combating, you know, that's, what, that's a way we can continue to fight um, to bring these, these guys and girls uh, out of that darkness and, uh, and help them remember who they are and realize uh, the hope that not only they have for themselves, but that they can continue to provide uh, for the rest of the world and, and make this place a little bit better. Nate Boyer joining us. I'm glad you answered that, Nate, because I was going to say that a big part of this is, and I say this all the time with athletes, rarely does a great athlete get to leave the game on his or her own terms. And then all of a sudden they're young. They think their best is behind them. They've got their entire life to live, and they have trouble finding that purpose and that mission. And then I would say to you, what happens if you can't? And you just kind of laid that out for me. I want to ask you something, Nate. I want to, and I'm dating myself, but I want to go way back. Nate, when I attended UC Santa Barbara, Back in the 1980s, there was a class taught by a professor by the name of Walter Capps. Now, keep in mind, Nate, it was in the 80s. So this was the only class in the nation about the Vietnam War. And one of the major themes of that class was that when the vets came home, they were not received well at all. In fact, not only was there not an appreciation, but many of them came home and were asked things like, what the hell were you doing there anyway? How could you lose that war? What was the point? I'm kind of curious. I mean, you were deployed at a very different time, but as a Green Beret, did you ever experience any of that when you returned home? And then how did that make you feel? I mean, I, I experienced a little bit of it, but I, I'll tell you, it was it was likely just a, a small, small fraction compared to those guys. And so for all of those people listening that did uh, serve at that time, I want to say welcome home um, and uh, and thank you for what you did, and thank Nate, you for Nate, fighting. Nate, 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 I'm so sorry. Can I interrupt you? That's exactly what this professor said to me. You had to say, welcome home, and not even necessarily thanks for your service, but welcome home. Why was that so important to say welcome home? Because they just didn't get a welcome when they came home, you know? I mean, the, those a lot of those people, and, and a lot of them, you know, they were drafted. Some of them uh, enlisted, and some of them didn't, and a lot of them were drafted, and they still went out there and fought for their country, did everything they, they could, um, and, and not all of us are perfect. I know that, but that's at any 
in any era, just like in any, you know, industry, like there's going to be people that, that do the wrong thing and make the wrong choices and they need to be held accountable as such. But most, you know, by and large, so many of those people just would, were, were, were not only following orders, but trying to do the right thing. And, it's, and the right thing is really hard. And they just wanted to come home to their families and bring their brothers home with them. And then to come home and get spat on, you know, or called a baby killer or whatever that is. Like, I can't even imagine that. I, I didn't experience something like that. I've had people, you know, social media, really never, I can't even think of a time really face-to-face. I've had people question, you know, talk to me about going to Iraq and did you feel um, like you're, like, you know, you were doing, you were, you were part of something horrible, you know, and, and kind of things that maybe trigger you a bit question-wise where it's like, look, I mean, I didn't, I didn't make that ultimate decision, but when I was asked to go, I went. Um, but those guys, you know, to come back and have people not only question the war itself, but question you as a human being or tell you that, you know, you, you're a bad person, you're an evil person uh, because you didn't, you didn't, uh, you know, you didn't run away and, and cross the border when you were drafted. And like, I just think that's incredibly unfair. And those people, those vets fought so much for the uh, resources that veterans today get. And granted, it's still not perfect, but it's so much better than it was. And it's because of them. It's because of what they did. I, I equate it in some ways to, you know, the civil rights movement, what those civil rights leaders did years ago. Uh, things still have a long way to go in this country. There's no doubt. But you can't forget what those people fought for. Um, and, and it's the same with, this, uh, with the veteran aspect here. Um, so I'm grateful for that. And I'm still going to fight and try to make things better, just like anybody should, you know, with causes that are important to them. you got to keep going and carry on that legacy. But also remembering, reflecting on those uh, that laid the groundwork and that did so much that uh, provided so much for us to be where we're at now and have the opportunity uh, to keep uh, to keep making things better and, and honestly to to for us to make a movie like this you know together like with the with the veteran community to to build this thing I don't know if that would be possible back in that era you know I mean it would be found upon it would be one of these things well Hollywood will tell that story that's not that's not your story to tell let Hollywood do that and then the narrative's out of your hands, you know, and this is a different situation. So I'm, I'm really grateful um, for those people. I really am. Nate Boyer, my guest. Nate, really quickly, I've got about a minute. Sylvester Stallone is the EP on this movie. How did he come to be involved, and how involved was he in the making of the film? Uh, you know what? What Sly did was he came to MVP, came to one of our um, sessions. So MVP stands for Merging Vets and Players. It's a charity co-founded with Jay Glazer. Vetsandplayers.org is the website for you guys that are interested in Supporting and also going to see the movie. Click on the link on that website uh, to, to view the MVP movie, and it'll take you to a page where you can uh, get tickets to a theater near you in these 35 cities around the country. But Sly well, came to a session, and he tells this story about playing Rambo. You know, because in the book First Blood, Rambo dies, and Sly so was like, "Well, there's not a lot of hope in that." So I, you know, was 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 approached about doing this and I was like I want to play this character but he needs to live there needs to be hope moving forward and it was so cool to see our vets in the room that day during one of our huddles um that just were like wow that's that's powerful and, and I'm glad that it went that way um and I'm glad that they made that decision to change so so that was really awesome and then when he heard about the fact that I was co-writing a script him and his producing partner Braden Aftergood at Balboa Productions were just like let us help you you know and they did and they asked, they've asked for nothing. They just, they put their name on it. They let us do it, let us do it our way. Um, and have provided uh, assistance where they can. But at the end of the day, they're like, this is your project, Nate, and you should direct this as a veteran and we're going to support you. 
Um, but you, you go make this thing and let us just uh, let's let's lend our name to you. Um, we want nothing in return, and you know that should help you get started and get people uh, reading this project and get attachments to it. And, and it really did. The movie is called MVP. It's going to premiere in select theaters nationwide tomorrow. Nate Boyer just told you how you can get involved, how you can get tickets. Nate, great to have you on the show. I know it's a big, big week for you, so good luck with that tomorrow. Enjoy that, and I know you and I will do it again soon. Nate, thanks so much. Definitely, sir. Thank you, brother, and tell your, tell your son to keep throwing that smoke. So I've got a question for you guys. Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long? Well, Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48-hour sweat and odor protection. I said 48 hours. Generally, if something seems too good to be true, it is, but not in this case. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's quick and it's easy to use, especially when you're on the move. Also, Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin. It leaves your skin feeling comfortable, and it does protect it. You want that. You need that. Try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry, clean feel, all day. You know, there was a time where I thought that was like the worst gloss ever. When that guy made that. Like that, the ultimate in straight fire. Brad and Lafayette. The fail clowns. Like the fail dumbest clowns. gloss ever. But you know what's funny? A lot of these things come back around. Suddenly it doesn't seem like the worst gloss ever. Suddenly it sounds kind of appropriate. Sometimes, suddenly it sounds kind of funny. The fail clowns. The giants? How about the fail clowns? How about the fail clowns? Let's say about the fail clowns. They skated yesterday because the fail clowns went full fail clowns Sunday, and we didn't even get to it on this program. Atlanta had a 16-point fourth quarter lead over the Saints. All right, so a 16-point fourth quarter lead over their bitter rivals. They hate them. And of course they did not win that game. Of course they imploded like the demolition of the old Georgia Dome itself. Because that's what the fail clowns do. They fold like a paper suit. And apparently, as we found out after the game, it was all the media's fault. You guys wrote our obituary back in in May, and you'll continue to write our obituary. Who cares? Because we got 16 games, and if we don't learn from this and get better, and we got to go play L.A., they got a three-day jump on us. So... We'll watch the tape, we'll look for corrections, and then we got to get, get going on the Rams. Arthur Smith, my guy, I, I do really like you and respect you. I think you've got great acumen. I think you're a brilliant guy. Extremely misdirected anger, as always. It's kind of like you clowns wrote your own obituary. You fail clowns always write your own obituary. Every clowns. time you gag in a football game, which is, it seems like, ball, ball, ball every time you have a lead in the fourth quarter you feel free not to blow one of those games just once and by the way the last nfl team to blow a fourth quarter lead of at least 16 points at home was wait for it the fail clowns in 2020 so this is not a one-off it's a lifestyle 
Because of course they were the last ones to do it. Because that's what they do. That's who they are. And that's why everybody is always writing their obituary. Because the dirty birds are constantly choking and gagging and dying in big football games. Again, I like Arthur Smith. But that was a terrible look for Arthur Smith. The only worse look would be for another sad head coach of another sad franchise to come out on Monday and pull the same exact sad, lame stunt. Cue the head coach of the team with the worst record in the NFL over the last five seasons, the J-E-T-S, who have been playing like A-S-S-S, ass. Robert Sala, another guy that I like and respect. He saw Art Smith on the podium Sunday and was like, yeah, I like that energy. And so he came out yesterday and he did this. You're just going to feel it. Uh, and, and in a way, it, it does just click where you're just stacking up day after day after day. And, and it's really, really cool when it does happen because it, it just absolutely pops off the tape. And I know it's going to happen. And I'm and I'm taking we're, we're all taking receipts on all the people who continually mock and and say that we ain't going to do anything. I'm taking receipts and I'm going to be more than happy to share them with all of y'all when it's all said and done. I mean, come on, Bob. What kind of threat is that for who? For what? Is that directed at us in the media? Is that directed at the fans? Dude, you're four and 14 as an NFL head coach. Four and 14. My guy, calm down. Chill out. In fact, take a seat, brah. You couldn't even collect all of those receipts because absolutely nobody believes in this team because absolutely nobody should believe in this team because the team has never given anybody any reason to believe. That's not our fault, Rob. That's yours. That's that organization. That's the franchise. Dude, why are you so angry anyway? Who has done this dude wrong, right? Who has done this dude wrong? When he got hired, it was basically a coronation. My man was practically deified as the best dude and the best leader and the best motivator. And that was the best hire ever. All of those things before he had ever even won a single game. And now he's pissed that the honeymoon is over after he's won just four of his first 18 games in charge. Robert, did you think that they were going to love eating L's in New York City. That the New York media was just going to toss you flowers and blow smoke up your ass for losing games. My man, what are you thinking? Are you thinking at all? Or are you just melting under the heat of the New York City spotlight? Because that's what it looks like and sounds like and feels like all the way out here in SoCal. Nobody is afraid of the Jets. Nobody is respecting the Jets for the most obvious reason ever. Just like nobody is afraid of the fail clowns or respecting them. Y'all are getting exactly as much respect as you both deserve, little to none. The solution here is so very simple. And it's not to make idle threats that make no sense at all or to storm out of press conferences or to blame us. It's not on us. The simple solution is win. Just win. That's it. 
That's all anybody is asking for. Win. Don't talk. Don't whine. Don't pass the buck. Don't complain. Don't make threats. Don't Win. talk about collecting receipts. Win. Don't blame the media. Win. Don't blame the fans. Just Win. do what you were hired to do. Do what you're paid to do. Win. Win some football win. games. Plural. Win. Here's an idea. Maybe even win more games than you lose. Here's a really wild idea. Win. It's going to blow your mind. Make the bleeping playoffs. Again, I like both these dudes. I respect both these dudes. But I do not like their acts this past weekend. Man, don't do that. Don't do that. One oh, week no. in, you're already what doing that? Don't do that. Collecting receipts and storming at oppressors? And most of all, don't act like we've done you wrong. Don't act like you've earned all this respect and we're not respecting you. When you and your respective franchises have been doing your fan bases all wrong for as long as you have, do not act like we've done you wrong somehow. We're, we're all taking receipts on all the people who continually oh. mock and, and... Come on, man. What, you're above that derision? You're above being mocked? Dude, you do know that it's the J-E-T-S that are paying your checks, right? Taking receipts. Man, I even tried to be positive on these guys in the offseason. I did. I really did. Hey, Rob, let me ask you about these receipts that you're taking. Are they the small ones that you get in a drive-thru? Or are they the mile-long ones that you get at CVS? Because if you're saving those, you could fill an entire stadium with the receipts that you're saving. I mean, no wonder our ozone layer is disintegrating. All the trees that we are taking down and crushing for a Walgreens receipt. Am I right? Taking receipts. I've got an aunt who has kept those receipts in shoeboxes in her attic. She's an official hoarder. We can't go to the house anymore because, quote, she's collecting receipts. Taking receipts. And they're all from CVS and Walgreens. Hey, Rob, don't you hate it when you go to a store or a cafe and they don't even give you a paper receipt? You don't have that option? And they make you choose between an email or a text? F that. His what? How can I collect that if it's not paper? I need a real receipt. Print me a real receipt because I'm collecting receipts. Taking receipts. Like I really want to get spam on my phone from you guys when you have a big sale. Hell no. I'm not collecting that. Do you include those spam emails and spam texts in your receipts? Taking receipts. Do you print them out when you get home and add them to that pile? Come on, man. Dudes. Don't blame the media. Don't blame us. Don't make idle threats about collecting receipts. Just win. Do your job, win your games, and stop blaming us. Clones, what do we want when we're craving protein or we need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. No, we want beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your father's jerky, shriveled, dry, and tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender and it's tasty. It's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known 
known for their relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein, and it comes in four amazing flavors that satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Sean Clark is my guest. Sean, it's great to have you on the show. How are you? Doing great, Jim. Thank you so much for having me on your show and talk a little bit of App State football. I love it. I couldn't wait to do it. Sean, now I understand that you've got a 24-hour rule there, but I do have to ask, now that you've had some time for it to sink in, how does it feel to know that you went into College Station and you beat the number six team in the country in Texas A&M? It's a great feeling. Again, it's uh, it's one of those, it's a signature win for our program, not just me, but for our program. And, you know, a lot of the credit, all the credit goes to our players. And, you know, I think our athletic director, our chancellor, gives us, give us everything we have to have to be um, successful, and that's the chase for championships. And um, 24 hours is over, and we've moved on to Troy. That's our first conference game, and, and it's the biggest game in the history of our program this weekend. Hmm. So I'm going to ask you about Troy in a minute, but and, and of course there is a lot of work still to be done, Sean. But I mentioned in the top in the open, you did play there. You've said it yourself. You bleed black and gold. You're emotional after the win. I mean, can you put into words what the program and what this particular group of players mean to you? It's it's very important to me. Again, when you play here and you get a chance to go out to other programs and coach, it was always a, a dream for me to come back and be the head football coach. And uh, through two coaching changes, Scott Satterford goes to Louisville, Eli Drinkwitz goes to, to Missouri, and, and now I'm sitting here as a head football coach. And you always want to try to leave it better than you found it, and, and that's hard. You know, Eli was 12 and 12 and one. Scott Satterfield was 10 and two, and then you know I come in as the head coach, and uh, we were 10 and two last year, and. And at App State, they expect you to win championships year in, year out. And that's what we're here for. So it was good for me personally to get that signature win, to kind of put my name on the program and, and do it. But, you know, I love this, everything it stands for. You know, this program is about people. It's about treating people the right way, getting our kind of people in the program. I think we've done a very good job over the last 33 years. Appalachian State head coach Sean Clark is joining us. So, of course, Sean, you lost that wild, wild 63-61 to 61 shootout at home in North Carolina the Saturday before. What did your team show you in the way it bounced back and how they were able to regroup as quickly as they did? It showed me that, that toughness and grit still win in college football. And we came back in after that game, and we had some tough conversations as the head football coach to the to all the coaches and then to the players, we're, we're honest with our players. And uh, it wasn't about effort. It was about execution, things that we could get corrected. And we came back to work. We got our lunch bucket and our hard hat and came back to work on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And we flew out Friday. And I told those guys, take the logo off the helmet, take the logo off the field, and go win your one-on-one battles. And keep it close to the fourth quarter. And if that happens, we'll win the football game. And our players, our coaches, they, they execute the game plan to perfection. We had the ball 41, was 41 and a half minutes to their – 18 and a half minutes. So uh, I think if you if you stick by the game plan and your kids believe you can win, that you know, we can win any football game we play. Hey, Sean, seems like taking nothing away from the defense. I really like the way they showed up. But sometimes your best defense is an offense that holds on to the ball for 41 minutes, right? That's not a bad thing. No, that, that was the game plan. And, you know, we're a little different in some ways here that, you know, we, we were into to strategizing and uh, fourth down conversions and, we were able to get the, the third and three, which were for go-downs for us. And we were four for five on fourth downs, conversions. And 
And that's what we had to do to be successful. And I was going to a tough environment, and we had to take some chances. So uh, if things were a little bit different, we didn't get those fourth down conversions, you probably wouldn't be talking to me. But I was dead set on, on we, we went there to win. We didn't go there to tie, put a good show on. We went to win, and that's what we came out with for W. I like that. Sean Clark's joining us. We're talking App State football. They've got a big one coming up against Troy, which I'll get into. You know, obviously, Sean, it seems to me that loss to North Carolina hit hard. It hit everybody hard. But how personally did your quarterback, Chase Bryce, take it? And stats aside, what did he show you in the way he carried himself and led from the front in a hostile environment in College Station? I think it speaks volumes about Chase. And, and Chase has a lot of he – wants, he wants to be good. He wants to be a leader of the face of this program. He has a lot of pride to himself. And, and he showed me he had grit because, you know, the, the, the two-point conversion play could have went either way. And, and people were on him for, for not making the best throw or the, or the receiver not making the, the catch. But – you know, I, I told him after the game, man, you gave your all for Appalachian State. And there's nothing I can uh, ask more of you. So come back, you know, soak in your tears for a couple of hours. But tomorrow, come back and win. You're a winner. This program's a winner. And we need you to be successful. And he has been fantastic through all this last year and a half. And, again, we're glad he's on our football team. He's a winner. He's a natural leader. We're very proud of Chase. All right, so, Sean, a huge win for the program, obviously. But what about for the conference? How big of a weekend was that for the Sun Belt Conference overall? It was huge. I'm very proud of everyone in our conference. If you go back to uh, 2019, we had five wins over uh, Power Five conference, Power Five teams, and you know, in this early season in 2022, we already have four Power Five wins. Two of those are first top ten teams with App State and Marshall uh, playing Notre Dame and A and M um, there, and then Georgia Southern goes to Nebraska, ODU beats Virginia Tech. So, the top to bottom, our conference is the premier group of five uh, conferences in the country, and. You know, if you're not ready to play in this conference, you're going to get beat. And I know we put a great product on the field, and Commissioner Gill's done a fantastic job of, you know, getting these regional rivalries back, which is what college football should be about. We're filling stadiums. We've got sold-out crowds, and, and that's what it's supposed to be about. That's big-time college football. You know, we could talk about how complicated other banks make it to redeem credit card rewards, like how they require minimums, and worse yet, how the rewards flat-out expire, or we could talk about how with Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount at any time. I mean, you want to talk about amazing. And now that we've talked about that, why don't we get back to doing what we do best, talking some junk and talking sports. You know, what we do, where we live, who we are. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms do apply. We're talking to App State head coach Sean Clark. You know, Sean, what a roller coaster ride it's been the last couple of weeks. In your experience as a coach, even as a player, but as a coach, what's a bigger challenge for young athletes? Is it handling success and the thrill of victory, or is it handling really tough beats, defeats, and the agony of defeat? I think it's both, and it's the world we live in. You know, our, our – our young people today get their their news from social media, and you can they can boost you up very quick. They can tear you down very quick. So you know it's just kind of like I think our team has a very mature mindset, and they know what the main goal is. And our goal was not to beat North Carolina, which would be nice, or A and M, but our goal is to win the Sun Belt Championship year in and year out. And that's where this thing gets started this week is against Troy. So you mentioned at the very top of the interview that it's the biggest game in the history of the program. I mean, is that because every next game is, or is there something specific about Troy? What makes this the biggest game ever for the program? One is Troy. They have a great team. Coach Summerall's done a fantastic job of kind of putting his stamp on that program. And and this is his first year. Then, you know, we we have college game day coming to Boone. That's going to be exciting. We're going to 
we're going we're not going to look away from that. We're going we're going to thrive with college game day coming to town. There's only there's so many certain times you get college game day to come to your your school, your town, and and we're going to jump on that and and ride with it. But you know, it's just it's the next game up, next game mentality. You know, it's you know people don't really realize this that you know the last hundred games we're eighty and twenty at Appalachian State, and, and we're in the likes of Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, and Oklahoma. So. We expect to win. It's a little bit different here on the mountain. And the next game up mentality is us. And that's why it's the biggest game in the history of our program. Hey, Coach, don't you forget either. You're on the Jim Rome radio program, too, this week. This is a big week. Hey, hey Jim, I, I haven't been a big fan of you for a long time. So this is a thrill for me to go on your show. Yeah, I appreciate that, Coach. It's great to have you on the show. I'm having fun with you, but I, I appreciate you saying that very much. Before you go, and I'm having a great time talking to App State football, you know, every time I talk to any coach, really on any level. It's always about culture and culture and culture. When you're recruiting and you're looking for an Appalachian State-type player, what are you looking for specifically in that player? For instance, what type of player fits best with your culture and what you're trying to develop and build there? Well, we want – I always believe tough wins. We want tough guys in our program, guys that love football. And in the recruiting process – you know, some some universities or some coaches look at highlight tapes. You know, I, I want to go more in detail. I want to get a two game, um, a full game of those. I'm watching. You know, what kind of teammate they are when when things aren't going well, or they really hustle. They love their teammates. And, and you know, great players come in all shapes and sizes. If and we didn't have one player that Texas A&M ever recruited or talked to, and we went down there and won because our guy, we have the right guys. And I put a lot of onus back on the high school football coach. I asked the coach, "Hey, does he love football? He's a great worker." And would you recruit him? And if he says no, we don't recruit him. And I go further on part of that in our in our recruiting visit. They come visit our university on our official visits. I ask our players, are they are they an App State guy? And if they, if they say no, then we don't sign those guys. I trust our players because this culture, this what we have here, is something special. We don't want to mess that thing up. I absolutely love what you just said. That we don't have one guy that A and M would ever even speak to and we went into their house and we beat them one last thought because i know the atmosphere is going to be off the chain completely for folks who have never been or really know nothing about boone north carolina what would you tell them about what it's like to live work and even raise your family there well we call it it's god's country around here we live in the mountains of northwest north carolina Uh, we have a very passionate fan base which is essentially located here in watauga county um if you want a great place to watch a college football game, you need to come see us. Uh, we, we saw the first four home games already this season. Uh, we're expecting out all seven this, this year. And it's just a great atmosphere to watch college football games. It's a great place to live. You can be in some of the best golf resorts in the country in 20 minutes. You can be snow skiing in 15. You can be at the beach in four hours. So, um, Again, it's a great place to live, great place to raise a family, and I'm proud to be the head coach at App State. I'll tell you what, I wish I had some eligibility left well, and some game and some ability, but I like that. That is a really good pitch. You've got App State going up against Troy this Saturday, 12.30 p.m. Eastern. It is an enormous game. They're coming off a huge win. Sean, really nice to have you on the program. Great to talk some App State football. Good luck this weekend, and I hope you and I can do it again soon. That was fun. Awesome, Jim. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm a big fan of you, and and your prayer. i watched it for a long time, so thank you, and uh, go app. Manny in Oxnard. Manny, what's up? Senor Van Smack, I hope I sound okay. I'm in my car. Not a car phone, but the cell phone on Bluetooth. How do I sound okay? You sound great. You're fine. You're great also, my friend. Hey, listen, props to Rogan Loam lobbing some BBs in there, bro, and getting those out. 
and possibly being able to go to your alma mater. How sweet would that be, Rome? I know you would love that going back up to UCSB and checking out some games, man. Everybody would just be like, the clones, I'd even take a ride up there and watch. Hey, listen, uh, I want to just prop up uh, Devontae Adams. What a great pickup for the Raiders. Unfortunately, uh, Carr kind of fell apart. The offensive line had so many holes in it, it looked like Swiss cheese. Freaking Carr got sacked five times. He's got to take off and run a couple of times, Rome. It's ridiculous. And then throwing three INTs on top of it, man, that sucked ass losing to the Chargers. At least we didn't have to hear from Silk Bra yet, or at least I haven't heard from him. But, uh, hey, one other thing, my last thing, Rome, because I don't want to get cut off, but um, too bad you still don't have that death pool because I would pick Jarrah Jones, man. You could count the veins in that dude's head. His skin is getting awfully thin, and uh, I hate to say it, Rome, but, man, if, if they lose badly again this, uh, this year, the Cowboys, that is, He's gone, and I am out. Manny, the old school Manny from Oxnard, counting veins in Jarrah's head. Hunter in Toronto is coming in. Good to have you, Hunter. How are you? Man, smack. Thank you for the vine. I'd love to talk about the Broncos' inability to take a page from Alvin Deloro's book and score, or how all my Wisco buddies are laughing at Denver today because they saw the hack fail upwards in Green Bay. But if you'll just uh, give me the time, I'd like to talk about Pavement Manning's forehead. Four score, and 20 heads ago, we saw the red ass on his dome anytime Pavement took his helmet off. And now we get to watch it grow in retirement. Thank God ESPN brought back the Manning cast, because Pavement's side hustle as a flight deck for the U.S. Navy, it's only seasonal. Two things can be true. The air gets thinner in the mile-high city, and the hair gets thinner in the mile-high cranium. Vance Mack, though, i got to cut this short, because I'm walking into the Sky Dome, er, the Rogers Center. I'm a little late for a doubleheader against Tampa. Wore the Jays, taking four or five against the Rays. Wore the Woodbine Racetrack in Toronto. It paid off my student loans. And, oh, by the way, Matt in L.A.? This is how you say it. You're welcome. Kind of odd, kind of weird, kind of bizarre. Is he calling Pinky Pavement? Let's go to Portland. Thailand. In Portland. Thailand, what's going on? Hey, what's going on, Romy? Hey, I just wanted to touch base here on this whole Seattle-Russell thing. Hey, man, being from Portland, I know what bummy and trash looks like because I've had Cape Brown as a governor for as long as I can remember. But that being said, nothing compares to this dumpster fire of a fan base of Seattle because Russell Wilson has been a godsend to the NFL for as long as I can remember. And for them to treat Russell the way they have is just ridiculous. That's all I got, Romy. I hear you. Uh, is anybody really surprised by the 12s? Could the 12s do or say anything at this point that would surprise any of you at all? Good night now!